does he know I'm going to do that? Okay. I'll just, look, look, Brian. Look, I'm pulling it closer. How close do you want this? Do you want it this close? I don't know. Will it be better? I feel like there's an eyeball looking at me. <laughs> it's, I'm a little creepy. <laughs> a little creeped out by that. I'm not going to lie. <clears throat> yep. Good morning. How's everybody doing? Good. Everybody's always a little happier when the sun's out. So we'll take that. But uh, it's nice to be with you all. Glad you're here. If you want, stand up. We'll pray and we'll praise God. Father, we love you. Uh, we thank you for this wonderful weekend, for the events that happened, and for the service and other things happening today, and just the. Uh, wonderful things are happening in your church in this season, and so I pray for your blessing on all of it, that it all goes to you, uh, that everything we do is for you and you alone, and just glorifies your name, God. So we uh, give you these songs, we sing you these words, um, and we praise you with them. As we hear your word today, be with Leonard, um, give him clarity of thought for what you've put on him to preach today, give us ears to hear you. Uh, just let it be a wonderful day for you, God. We love you and we praise you.
next song we're going to do, we're going to teach you the chorus first. Uh, it's a new one, um, but it's, it's very pretty, so it's easy to pick up.
one word you speak. So quiet my heart, I'm listening. How's everybody doing? Isn't it great to be gathering for worship today on this first day of the week? Sunshine outside. Don't know what happened to winter, but you know what? Um, if it stays lost for the rest of the winter season, then um, that's my personal concierge. For like half a second, then I'm hers. But we'll just leave it at that. So anyway, we're not here for me. We're here for the Lord, right? And the Lord has been doing some pretty amazing things, I think, this, this weekend. But um, I tell you, I've been a pastor for 17 years, and I probably have never had in the course of my time uh, in, in, in Salem or in um, Sullivan or in South Africa uh, that sense that God is up to something. And I'm just hanging on for the ride. But I also know that uh, it's been a bumpy ride. And for the last few years, you know, there's been a lot of us in this profession who've said, we just want to call it quits because we don't really know how to, how to lead in this mess. Um, but that's not been a bad thing because I think it's caused a lot of us, and I think you guys as well, to ask the question, but then who can lead? And I think we know the answer to that. And what's so gratifying is when everybody's eyes are on him and him alone, some pretty cool things start to happen. And I've been seeing that. I've been seeing God do a couple of things. One of them is uh, he sort of let Satan sort of run us through the mill, the mill and we've been sifted. Um, and if it hasn't been stuff that we've been dealing with internally, it's been uh, what churches in the past that Paul wrote to and Luke wrote to, churches in crisis because the forces from outside were just so powerful that they struggled. And I think we could be honest and say in the last couple of years, uh, those forces have been a pandemic, division over vaccinations, division over just all kinds of stuff, racism, uh, opinions about things, and you can just take the list and go on and on and on. And I think the underlying theme is Satan knows that if he can divide us, he's got us. But if he can keep us united, that is a powerful force. And I think when we've attuned ourselves to the reality of Jesus in our lives, and we've asked the question, Lord, I believe in you, but I want to take it a step further, and I want to follow you. I want to know how you respond to these kind of situations, what you would do to please the Father. I want to know how to live a life that imitates your life. And that's a different set of questions with, I think, a much better set of results. And I'm only saying this because... Uh, in, 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 in the moment that we're in right now, God is just doing some cool things because we're aligned that way. And we've been ramping up for the IF gathering for the ladies uh, for, for months now. And we've been very excited about the outcome 
of uh, what that would mean for our people and building them up. And so if you want, uh, just go ahead and scroll some of the stuff on there as I kind of make a few observations. First of all, uh, some ladies did gather for about 30-some hours this week weekend, and they made Jesus the priority. And then flowing out of that, a lot of barriers and walls were broken, and fellowship was created, and there was just a sense of us to gather. And it's pretty amazing to see people just come alive in the Lord in a way that reflects a kind of personality I've never seen in my time here. And so I want to celebrate that with the ladies. I wasn't invited for obvious reasons, but um, it was really good. And the cool thing about it is uh, they were very well aware as they were gathering and they were receiving the simulcast uh, teachings that uh, around the world there's about a million other uh, women gathering and being fed and being built up in the Lord. And the quotes are really reflective of the things that they were able to digest and, and to, and to kind of allow to become part of who they are, if I'm reflecting that properly. Uh, so I asked uh, Brittany and Amy, I said, give me some thoughts on what this meant. And uh, so they, they provided the pictures, and I said, we have to celebrate that. Because I think that when God does these things, we have to give him the praise. And he, uh, I think, will uh, in time bring a lot of fruit out of this. So I'm just so gratified as a pastor. Uh, and I told Amy this morning, I said, I'm so thrilled about how this weekend went. I just give you a big hug. And uh, it's just good to have a coworker who is aligned in heart and mind and spirit in, in, in so many ways. Uh, and coworkers, for that matter. And for that matter, elders and a whole church. Uh, I just, I got to pinch myself sometimes. But anyhow, you know, as I was trying to summarize what these guys were, were feeding back to me regarding the experience, uh, I, I know that not everyone could be there, but this is just one of a lot of things that are of the same spirit that we're trying to do. So don't feel like, oh, I, I missed it and I'm not in the club. Well, I did miss it. I'm not in the club, but um, uh, I, I still feel good about it, Right. And as, um, as I thought about that, I thought, how could I summarize what that is in one verse? And uh, it brought to mind Philippians chapter, one, chapter, one verse, or chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. And uh, in it, we read these words. And hopefully, this is a good summary. It says, if there is any encouragement from belonging to Christ, any comfort from his love, any fellowship to gather in the Spirit, are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. You know, that comes from Philippians, and it's a very small book. And it's in contrast to, uh, I think, First and Second Corinthians, which are huge books that Paul wrote. And every book that Paul wrote, it was to address church problems. And the interesting thing about this book, it is so small because there aren't a lot of problems. And the theme of the book says that in Philippi, they were like-minded. Matter of fact, Paul says this 10 times in Philippians, be like-minded. And there's something beautiful. And this is kind of setting us up to pivot into the message in just a second. And I think that's how it all should flow What's happening in the scripture should flow into the storyline of what's happening at First Christian Church and around the world. So that said, um, I'm just looking forward to how 
God is going to unfold more things for us to be a part of and then see people have their lives transformed by living in that space. Can I get an amen for that? Okay, well, thank you guys. Good job for that. And I also wanted to lift up some prayer concerns. Um, we had uh, Chief uh, J.T. Panzak come and speak to the Joy Club this week, and he kind of shared a lot of things about the challenges that they face. But um, one of them that's been particularly burdensome for me is the fact that, uh, and, and he is by far the last person to talk politics. He just has the heart and the soul of Salem uh, uh, clearly in his mind and heart. And, uh, and you can see that if you know him. Uh, but he said, you know, we're losing quality officers because people are just headhunting our people and paying them more. And, and, you know, he says, I'm struggling with that. And I don't know what the answer is other than I want to keep JT lifted up because he's keeping our community healthy in ways that um, you don't even realize. And he does it with a team of people. And he feeds into their morale constantly. Uh, so please keep JT lifted up in your prayers. We're going to pray for him right now. And, uh, and I'm just going to offer a prayer, and then we'll go into the message. So would you bow with me? Our Lord Jesus, we are so thankful that as we gather, the reality of your presence is coming alive in this world in ways that are unprecedented in my lifetime. And I'm so thankful, Father, that it has a lot to do with the mental health crisis that we have all gone through and it led us to a place where we're asking, well, then what is the answer? And you, Lord Jesus, have been the answer from the start. So thank you for everyone that has said, I'm willing to listen to you and to hear your voice. And Lord, I know that everyone who has said that has not been disappointed because your voice has the tone of love at a level that, that just penetrates deep into our being. And we thank you that you are that kind of a God and you're worthy of worship in that way. And we thank you for all the masses of people that have gathered this weekend, uh, one, one heart and one mind and one voice, learning about you and asking what does it mean to follow you. Thank you for that same posture at work in First Christian Church and for the unity of heart and mind and spirit because we are attuned to you and you alone. Lord, we are grateful for things that happen in the course of the week, whether it's men gathering or women gathering or people gathering in groups or people who are just looking at the community and saying, how can I serve? How can I help people like our friends in East Palestine? How can I help out in the lives of the people in Salem? And what is my role and my responsibility relative to that? And Lord, it's so refreshing to see uh, our, our minds go from just the boundaries of our own church to having a kingdom mindset and witness accordingly. So thank you for those who are just stepping into that place. And I pray, Father, that it would be compelling enough for those who see that happening, that it would move us all to recognize that your kingdom is at work. And uh, you call us to play a role in its unfolding on each place of the timeline. And this is our place right now. And so please help us to have your wisdom to, as we make plans to see you direct the path. And Lord, I pray for each of us as we live in that tension between grace and truth. And it is in that tension where life transformation happens and people are, are, are brought to a sense of the reality of who you are in this world 
and who I am in this world and what I have in my life that's good and bad and ugly and just bringing it before you and finding that by your grace and your profound love, you speak the truth to us and it enables us to reframe our lives around a new way of living. Lord, I pray that that would just continue. And I ask that you help us as we follow you, as you uh, instruct your people to follow uh, those who are leading and those who are leading that they would be obedient and faithful to the things that you are calling us to show. And in all of those things that you'd be glorified. And Lord, I just thank you for all the people, not only JT, but people that service our community in ways that we don't even realize until they're gone. And then we see the, the, the hole there and the decay and the destruction and the things that happen when communities aren't cared for properly. We want to play our role alongside that, Father. So we pray that you guide us to know how we can support and how we can just be another voice alongside those whom you've called to care for our community. And we pray for those in East Palestine who are living in the aftermath of something that's created such disruption and chaos that clarity will, won't even be realized probably for, for years. And I just ask for those who are languishing with health problems right now that you would sustain them, that you bring healing. And I pray for those who need wisdom regarding just what they need for their daily bread and for those who are looking out and saying, you know, what does our future hold for us? Father, I just pray that your spirit would be at work in their lives and that you'd help them to see your provision and guidance and your care, Lord. And this hits pretty deep for most of us in this room, Father, because all of us are connected to somebody over there and our hearts ache for what they've gone through. And Father, I pray for us as a church. I uh, thank you for getting us ready during the pandemic for wise leaders who've tried to take the best of, the, of your word and bring it to bear into the reestablishing of our congregation around it. And thank you for blessing that. And Father, I just pray that as we go into your time in the word, um, that you would bless it, whether it's proclaimed here or whether it is with uh, the people who are mentoring our kids, that in all these spaces, uh, that your word would come alive in all of our hearts and speak to us for the need of the moment. And so we thank you, Father. Thank you so much. We're just so grateful that you have been faithful. And for those who are hurting today, may your voice be heard in the form of encouragement. And for those who are, you're seeing that we need to be nudged to a place where we need to level up in some way, then help us to just walk farther into that sense of obedience. And uh, for all of us, Lord, just help us to shine for you. And Lord, just give us that unity of spirit as we align our hearts with the substance of the disciples' prayer. So would you pray with me now? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Well, I'm going to start this message today by, 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 by just working backwards on the historical timeline from the present uh, to the time that Jesus is being described in Luke chapter uh, 
20 and 21 at the end of at the end of 20 and starting into 21. Um, and I, and I want to start first of all with uh, the, 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 the additional information that Paul wrote in Philippians 2. Because as he's writing that, and I think, Rachel, would that be, was that verse a good representation of what you guys experienced yesterday? Good, so I'm glad, I'm glad I, I, I kind of read that properly. But I like what uh, Paul said as well, because this addresses the other side of the equation. Because you can go to gatherings and have mountaintop experiences, but when you return back to your everyday life, there are a lot of forces at work that um, try to undo those things that were established over the course of the weekend. And Paul, just, he just calls it out. He says, don't be selfish and don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. And don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. Now, that's some well-reasoned advice that's based not on just Paul's feelings in the moment, but I think on his deep reflection of what the life of Jesus meant for him and the messages that he himself would write, that is, Paul himself would write, to the churches that were trying to imitate Jesus uh, like he was. And the substance of that is actually going to be found in the verses that we're going to look at here in just a second from Luke. Um, and that's what I love about how this all flows together. But where this gets a little bit personal for me is um, how things have transpired in the, in the last couple of months with our church and our staff and the invitation that we've made to churches around the community to, to gather, and, and we don't really care where, but uh, they, they've we've chosen to, to meet here, um, and, and, and they're, they're in agreement with that. So we've had, we've had a cross-section of Salem's church leadership gather with us um, uh, a couple of times already, and we're asking the question, God, what do you have in mind for us to gather as church leaders, not as people who are trying to build our own churches, but as church leaders together who are trying to speak a kingdom word to the community, who are trying to ask where are the needs and how can we as churches work together to meet those needs? How can we show the love of Jesus in a unified way to the people who don't know him and are wondering what are churches all about? And it hasn't always been my experience that churches have been less than competitive and concerned about sheep stealing and concerned about turf. No one has that even remotely on their mind in these conversations, which is so beautiful. But rather, they're just saying, hey, we're just here because God has said, what can we do together for the community? And that thought has impressed itself on the leadership of our church and other churches, and that's why it's so cool to see them respond. Out of that series of conversations, I I met a gentleman named Mike Ross, and you ever meet somebody and you're like, I think I've known you my whole life, because the things that they had on their heart and their mind were parallel to the things that you had on your own heart and mind, and then some of the formative experiences and the experiences that they've had in the moment are parallel to your own, that when you start a conversation, it's like you're just speaking your own language. In some ways, you even feel like you're talking to yourself. Now, I know I'm a weirdo, 
So that, that sometimes doesn't happen very often. But it was cool to meet somebody else who was also living a parallel life in his own right. And, um, and so, we, you know, we spent a few hours getting to know each other and talk about stuff. And I was really looking forward to just building that relationship. And then, and then Brittany, Brittany sent me a text the other day saying that Mike had passed away suddenly. And I, I, it just it blew me away because I, I'm like, man. And, and I, was, I really was grief struck over it because I'm like, we have so much in common regarding the uniqueness of being pastors and a world that not everybody understands. And, uh, you know, I was looking forward to building a friendship with him. But the Lord said, Mike, it's time to come home. And he called him home. So I went to uh, his church yesterday, and they had a, a worship gathering that was really a time of celebration for Mike. And it was, it was very moving. And what touched me regarding the celebration was the, the cross-section of people that spoke that had, you could see the imprint of his influence on their lives, the way that they expressed themselves, the way that they had high regard for Mike. And the way that um, they knew that there was a well-done, good, and faithful servant happening in eternity at the same time. And, you know, we need to hear that not only as pastors, but as people. That there are other people who are going before us that want us to end well, like hopefully, you know, we see them doing it. And, and for me, it was kind of inspirational, recognizing that um, while you're here, you've got to do your due diligence for the things that are important. And it was clarifying. Uh, and it, it, it really caused me to think, what kind of fruit would be at work at First Christian Church if that were me? You know, and, and that really is the only conversation that matters in the end. And when Jesus was here on earth, his concern was, what is the rippling effect of the things that I've taught and behaved accordingly, that I've embodied, that will go into motion after I die. And in Jesus' case, it was just a very short amount of time, as we we're about to read it in Luke, that people were going to be looking at his obituary. And the obituary that they would read would read differently regarding how you came to understand him. And, and with Mike, I think that if you didn't know him, he would just be another person. But if you got to know his heart a little bit, you'd be like, I know what that obituary would look like. And as I listen to people, I'm like, of course, of course, of course. And when Jesus came, he was setting into motion not just a series of teachings but he was activating lives for a kingdom purpose that would unfold over the course of time that would basically reflect the same values over and over and over and over, the values of the kingdom. And Jesus recognizes that that's a tall order to create that dramatic of a change in the lives of people that will go on for generations and millennia. But that was the challenge that he faced when he came here to earth. And as he's telling his disciples all of this stuff, it becomes pretty clear that they don't get it. They don't really understand until they themselves are starting to face the pressures that he faced 
because they were on board and now they were being persecuted and now they were being threatened and now they were being pressed down on from the outside and stirred up on the inside in the same way that he did and perhaps in the same way that many of us have been pressed down on and stirred up in. And Jesus knew that there was something about his presence and the later gift of the Holy Spirit that would make that possible. Because I I think the unity that we're experiencing in this body is not just from teaching. It's not just from reading the Word. It's not just saying, hey, let's all get along. It is a supernatural act of the Spirit of God. And that's, that's, the end, that's the beginning and the end. But that only works when people say, we want that. And I'm not trying to sound charismatic or Pentecostal. I'm just saying, when we are obedient to God, God starts to do things in our lives that change us. And the story we're about to read really sets up two different responses to his presence in their lives. And one was obedience, and the other one was, I don't want him. And I, I just want to look at that for, for a few minutes. So if you have your Bibles with you, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 20, verses 45 and following. And uh, this is the setup. It's in your uh, devotional that you're hopefully reading um, during Advent called Game Over. And if you don't have a copy, there's, I think there's a few more copies left out there. Uh, so please grab one because this helps us to track together in that story uh, so that we can share it together. Well, here it is. And in the hearing of all the people, he said to his disciples, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and love greetings in the marketplaces and the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They'll receive the greater condemnation. Jesus looked up and he saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box, and he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly, I tell you, this poor woman has put in more than all of them, for they all contributed out of their abundance but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. I thought it was kind of interesting, another cool convergence, because the focus has been on the, the building up of our women uh, this weekend. And uh, that really is uh, the, the focus of this text, is how this woman in her own poverty was able to display a heart of generosity to Jesus, but most people weren't understanding what was happening right in front of them. And the setting is Jesus is at the temple, and if you knew the temple complex, you know that there is at the center the Holy of Holies where only the priests could go, and then there was, um, there was a space that was differentiated from that where, you know, only certain select men could go, and then there was um, uh, the, the, outer, you know, the outer courts for the women and then the farther out courts for the Gentiles. And that sense of all of these places that divide up how we access God and who can access God more closely was the place where Jesus was basically teaching his disciples uh, these thoughts. Because in that broader courtyard of Herod's temple, there, was, there, were, these, there were these beautiful um, uh, offering pots that people would come and they would drop their money in. 
And essentially, in that world, the temple complex was the government, it was the religious establishment, it was the Jerusalem National Bank. So everything about their way of life was concentrated around the temple. And as Jesus is watching people give their offerings, he sees something happen that, that, that he knows will never work in the kind of kingdom he's going to create. And that is this sense of people who have, and I'm not trying to sound like a Marxist or a communist here, but people who have had the, the benefit of being born into the right family or have had the right conditions come their way that they can be in that upper echelon to the exclusion of, of everyone else, but hopefully in that pride of place, being able to be benefactors and that sense of we're the, we're the, we're the I don't know, we're the cool people and you're not and it's just too bad, um, really was disturbing for Jesus. Because in his mind, humanity has always been, by design, a we-to-gather thing. It's never been divide them up and then put them in a place of, you know, subcategorization and understanding yourself in contrast to them. We're kind of joking about it this morning because while I was gone a few weeks ago, somebody put a sign out there where I normally park uh, that says muscle car parking only. And um, I don't know what precipitated that. I don't know who did it. We have an investigation pending right now. And um, I'm sure that, uh, you know, because I've cracked investigators looking this up, I'm sure we'll have an answer to who the culprits were. But then there's a part of me that says, oh, that's pretty cool. Differentiating the muscle car crowd versus, well, I don't know, the SUV crowd, minivan crowd. I, I don't know. And, uh, you know, for me, it's like, wow, that's cool. I got a sign, you know. Now, it's way out in the back 40, but hey, you know, I'm a servant, so I'll walk all the way up here so that you can park close, right? That's just kind of humble guy I am. And uh, I, I just thought it was kind of hilarious because uh, we were sort of joking about, well, who, who qualifies at First Christian Church to be a muscle car person? So now we got a little sub-click inside the larger group, right? And we love clicks, don't we? That's kind of biblical, right? Like us versus them. That's all good, right? That's, that's what we want. We want everybody to sort of be differentiated. Well, I know we had a ladies' gathering, but the cool thing about the ladies' gathering is the spirit of what's driving that, and that is that sense of oneness in that differentiation of the larger body to gather. That's a different kind of separating us versus them. But in Jesus' case, it was strictly, hey, we have social standing and class and wealth. You don't. And in our city, there is actually, we live in a gated community. And if you looked at the, at, the, at, the, at the layout of a map of Jerusalem, you would find Herod's palace and then all the rich people living there. And then there's a wall which divides, creates a gate to access or no access. And then there's everybody else. And that sense of humanity trying to find worth and esteem and identity in some other source than Jesus was really an anathema. Because by design, each of us, every one of us, and every person, every human being on the planet happens to be made in God's image and likeness. And we're all equal at the foot of the cross. Now, there's no, there's no, no, no question. We differentiate on talents and gifts and capacities. 
But it's not for the purpose of identity. It's for the purpose of building up everybody. And, and that's why I appreciate when I mentioned J.T. Panzot a minute ago. Because his thought is, what is my calling for this community right now? How do I live that out? Not for me, but for the well-being of the community that I'm called to serve. And I don't know that, and I have a lot of respect for police officers. And probably everybody's related to one. My brother-in-law was a chief of police in my hometown way back in the day. So I understand their world. But not everybody has that heart. Not every pastor has that heart. And what Jesus does is he kind of brings that to the surface. Because what he's putting on display here is where her heart is versus the hearts of the people who think they got it all locked down, that they got a good bead on things, and that they have access and they're the blessed ones. In Jesus' mind, his hope is we will all be the blessed ones. We will all be who we're supposed to be in God's image. And there's really only one way to do that, and that's to pursue him first, and then everything else finds its place. So if you have a problem in your life, you pursue him. Now, this part of my sermon is actually, I'm channeling my friend Mike. Because Mike would say, if you have a problem in your marriage, you need to pursue him. If you have a problem with your finances, you need to pursue him. If you have a relational problem in the church, you need to pursue him. And the theme seems to be pretty, you see a pattern here, don't you? That if you want anything in your life to work like it's supposed to, you have to put him first. That's the only way it's going to happen. And I think that's what's so refreshing about the moment that we're in, is we've discovered that there really isn't a source out there that can satisfy that deep thing that's inside of me that's so unsettled right now, except for him. And when Jesus is sitting there with his disciples, watching the interaction at the Jerusalem First National Bank, and he sees people dropping money in, he notes how the wealthy are coming in, and they're making a big display, and the, and the coins that they're giving are shiny, and they're silver, and they're there to show, hey, look what we got. Look what we gave. Well, we don't hear in the story, if you, if you probably do a little bit of research, they're also the ones controlling where that money goes. I mean, it's easy to give, isn't it, when you know where, you're, where the money's going? And Jesus sees all of that, and he recognizes that it's not really about that. But it is about a relationship that is working between this lady and her poverty and God. She has learned to trust him so deeply in her poverty that she would say, I can just give you all because I know you got my back. I know you will take care of me in some way that logic cannot even begin to describe because we have a relationship. And there's something about relationships that I think is pretty cool too because it's really deep on on God's heart and mind, the one that you and I have with him and the one that you and I have with each other. And as I was thinking about the the if if gathering and the takeaways that I got from my friends, um, I, I thought about a few things relative to this. Because last week we mentioned that one of the reasons why people are coming out of the darkness of the mental health crisis of our culture 
is they're looking for joy. They're looking for joy. And I, I, think, I think this, because joy is so critical to the way of life of a believer. We of all people, we should either be pitied because we stupidly are following a 2,000-year-old person, or we should be, we should be I, I think, marveled at. Because the one identifier that should be active in the life of every believer by design is joy beyond any circumstance because Christ is alive inside of us. And Philippians also mentions the word joy. And I just want to follow the lead of the if gathering because the sense is if Jesus did this, then what does that mean for me? And so I say if joy stops... This has been my experience, and I think Paul is writing about this in Philippians. If joy stops, likely division is happening. How divided has our country been? And how joyless have people become? How antagonistic, rather, in that division do people responsively um, direct anger towards people around them? And I would say, based on what I've seen in our church lately, there's a huge amount of joy that I've never, never experienced. And I would say that correlation equals causation here. It's because division stopped. Let that soak in a minute. But why did the division stop? Because I think Jesus said, Look up here. Look at, up, up at me. Up at me. Look at me. And I, and I think a lot of us said, yeah, we got to do that. Isn't it amazing how he creates such conflict because he's saying the things that I'm stirring up are the things that aren't right. But he creates such joy when he makes them right and he makes us right with the Father and he makes us right with each other. There's something that happens. There's a joy that's palpable when we get along. And I, I, I don't know about you, but I, I like to experience the joy of relationships with my family and with my friends. And that would include all of you. But I can't tell you how much agony it brings me whenever I know there's a strain. And there's something in the air between myself and another person that, that, that needs to be resolved. I mean, who likes to live in that space? And I also know that probably the only way that you can move out of that is to recapture him in whatever relationship that is. It's always, a, it's always three parties. There's ourselves, the other person, and Jesus, always whether it's a covenantal mill at church or whether it's a marriage covenant, it is that sense that where there's Jesus, there's joy. But the other thing I want to I spell out here, because we're reading Luke, that's written to a church that um, a person named Theophilus is playing a leading influence in. And as it's read by Theophilus, to the people that are in his circle, they start to embrace together that sense of who they are together. And the Bible is always written to people in communities. 
So if the Bible was written to communities and not individuals first, then it's about a we to gather before it is about me alone. I mean, it's easy to individualize the Bible and say, hey, this is a good verse for me today. But just keep in mind that when it was originally put together and sent out, it was for communities to read together and to ask the question together, how does this shape our lives together? And that's a different kind of Christianity than, 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 than I've experienced sometimes. But you know what else? And this is where I get into trouble and you get into trouble. And that's this. If my ego takes control, then joy in Jesus will inevitably say, you're, it's, you're, on, you're on this, we'll be over here. Call us when you want us. And there is something about our faith that says it only works when Jesus is at the center. There's something about our lives that only work when Jesus is at the center. There's something about when we give an offering, when we are concerned about finances, when we are concerned about relationships, when we are concerned about whatever it is that is a burden or a priority or a deep need. When we put him in the middle of all of that, he helps us find our way. And I've been saying that for 35 years, which means I've had a lot of time to decide whether or not I believe that. And the fact of the matter is, that's why I'm still up here. I mean, I could be a muscle car guy. But that's very secondary to him. And I, I know that when Jesus comes into our lives, he rearranges a lot of furniture but it always looks better after he's done. There's something beautiful about his presence that is just life-giving. And Jesus wants to take that blessing of his presence in our lives for those things, and he wants to expand out into how we can show compassion for other people. So this lady is giving her offering. And I don't know if you know what that's all about, but if, you're, if you read the devotional tomorrow, you'll see a little bit of insight into what her world looked like. Because as a widow, she doesn't have any rights, really. Her life is totally dependent upon her association with her husband or her children. Her identity is really tagged to them. She's not really considered a person in many ways except for that connection. And when that connection's gone, well, she's, she's dependent on either her children of her deceased husband or the, benefic- or, the, or the benefit that the temple complex or religious people will give her as far as provision goes. But there, in Jesus' view, are a group of people giving, you know, they're just slamming the stuff into the, into, the, into the offering jar, making a big production out of it. 
saying, look at what we give. And then they're given a pretentious prayer about how great they are. And then Jesus is just saying, this is making me sick to my stomach. Why? Because the very people giving the offering are also the ones who are controlling where it's going. But they're, not only that, they're making a policy about how you manage um, the, the taxation and basically the infrastructure of the Jewish people on top of what the Romans are already doing. And if you're a widow, well, they found ways to tax her in such a way that, well, her house is paid off, but now the taxes are so high she's going to have to forfeit her home. And Jesus knows that. And he knows that they use the law in a way to benefit themselves. Like any lawmaker, they're always asking, what does this do for me or my, or my people? How does this serve my interest? And Jesus is asking a larger question. How does that serve the interest of everyone? And he calls them out on it. And the reason why the devotional is called a game over is because He's essentially saying, I'm taking on stuff that's not right. Whether it's religious stuff or satanic stuff or political stuff or stuff inside you and me. He's putting it all right. He's here to make it all right. And something I've seen in this moment is God's churn to the surface stuff in your life and mine that we've, been, we've kept hiding in the shadows but he's saying you got to deal with it now. Not all at once, but one thing at a time. Has anybody else had that happen to you? Is, that, is this moment doing that to you? I, I hope it is because I'm finding that it's putting me in a much better place. My soul is much healthier as a result of that. I am not conflicted on the inside and everything inside of me in my soul is a line getting aligned the way it needs to be. And that's a pretty peaceful place. And God does some pretty powerful things when we get into that place. But it's God doing all of it. I'm just, I'm just throwing in the towel most of the time. <laughs> and the more he does that, the more we are the people that we are supposed to be. Well, I have had a lot of things on my mind regarding the loss of my friend what's happened with the Ith gathering, the men gathering yesterday, stories that you've been telling me, this story that we're reading in Scripture. And as we're just going through all of them together, they're kind of asking a big question. And that is, if Jesus were to turn the spotlight on your life and my life right now, would we be the ones making the display of showing our resourcing and our generosity so that we're pleasing the people? Or are we the ones who are like the widow, just sort of kind of in the shadows going over, putting her two coins in, walking away, realizing that it's mostly between her and God because nobody seems to care? And if we're identifying with that widow, my next question is, what do we as a church do to help and support women like her? Because I know they're out there. I had a 45-minute conversation with a lady the other day who has lost her husband. She's from a pretty well-to-do family, but her kids are moved off. And she's trying to 
get the leaves cleaned out of her eaves and a couple things repaired in her house, including some lights. And she's like, I can't even hire anybody to do it. Does your church have anybody that can help out? And I said, well, I said, perhaps. I said, I, I need to talk to other people about it. But tell me about this a little bit more. And she said, well, as a matter of fact, I've been very involved in this community for a long time. And she gave me a resume, and I was very impressed. And she says, I talked to a lot of people, and a lot of them are in my cohort, and they're struggling. She wasn't trying to do a power move on me. She was trying to say, I am aware of stuff that not everybody is seeing. And one of our prayers has been, God, help us to be aware of stuff that we are not seeing. And then be accountable to respond in the way that you call us to respond. Because we're not going to fix everything. But it was ironic because, um, and Brittany was laughing about this, because the day before is when I wrote the devotional that said, hey, if you know of any widows that are going through this stuff, here's my email. And sure enough, this lady calls me the next day, and I'm like, it's just a coincidence, I'm sure. But if you love God, you'll listen. And of all the people who've learned to listen is to love, because Rachel likes to talk, and she's been doing a lot of listening because God's been doing something in her heart. And you've been seeing and hearing stuff that maybe you weren't seeing and hearing before. And I'm asking our whole church to do that. So if you don't know him and know the blessing and the joy of having him in your life, we're here to introduce you to him. That's our job. And I don't know if there's anyone here who's in that place where you're just saying, just kind of kicking the tires here, Pastor. I want to help you. We want to help you. And there may be others of us who've said, you know, God's been working in my life, and I don't know what the next step is. And that's something else we've been, we've been wrestling with. How can we help you move into that next step? And we have some available already, but we also have more that we want to move into. And I think when we do, Jesus is very pleased. And at the end of your life, what are people going to say? What kind of a person were you? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are grateful for how you move in our lives as we've just taken your word and meditated on it long enough to think about how it redefines our lives. I pray that the things that I've shared would have the impact that you desire for the moment and where we are at as a people and as those who are postured to hear your voice. And whether you're moving us into a place of increasing obedience or whether you're moving us into a place of a new relationship, I just pray that your joy would overpower everyone in such a way that it would be obvious from you. I just ask, Father, that you help us as a church as we attune ourselves to the things that are happening around us, where brokenness is happening and mental illness is happening and things that are unimaginable and indescribable are happening. Show us our lane and our path so that we can, alongside other churches in the community, alongside the JT Panzots of the community, show your compassion and your care and your love and anything else that you 
guide us to do for that need in that moment. We surrender our lives to you. And if you do, agree with me by saying with me, amen. I'd just like to um, paraphrase Philippians 2 one more time. If you or if we encourage one another, comfort one another, fellowship together, be compassionate, love one another, serve together with one mind and one purpose, another verse comes to mind well done good and faithful servant we will continue to be blessed so as we come to communion 
the emblems that we hold in our hands right now encourage us. They comfort us. They bring us together. It's not possible without the Son's love as He served us and continues to serve us and brings us together. So as we take this cup and this bread, we just ask that it continues to bless us, fill us, unite us, as we thank you for your compassion for us. In your son's name we pray. Amen. you and so grateful that you're always with us so as we go from here help us put you first in everything and show you to everybody that we can we love you and we praise you amen hope you all have a nice week